0: and I were kissed by the sun this week, so it's good to be back, though. We uh, went to join in online uh, last week, watched worship, and then we're like, all right, time to go to the beach. So I have not seen the sermon from last week yet, uh, but told Corey, I was like, I can't wait. Saw a picture with shoes being held up, so I'm sure you guys are commissioned to go spread the gospel. I'm assuming it was a commissioning to go in some way, uh, so excited to catch that. Um, But today we're going to continue We've been on a journey here the last few months So if this is your first week here in a few months um, Man, we've been on a journey since January about worship, grow, and go And uh, it's been this cool journey, especially the last few weeks, about the Holy Spirit And um, just what He's been doing through us and in us and around us And I just want to catch you up Man, Kim, it's so good to see you Can you wave to the church? I was just going to update the church Um, My dad is here uh, others are, are here. So a couple of weeks ago, Nicole had this burden to intercede, and uh, and she kind of gave this brief definition as she has in the past. Intercession is praying for those on behalf of those who can't, won't, or don't know how. So we had this call during worship to intercede, and specifically to intercede uh, for around four, five, six people. And um, involving cancer, involving major surgeries, involving uh, major issues going on. And every single person that we prayed for and every single person we, we interceded for had rapid, dramatic, crazy, um, miraculous ex, um, expediting of recovery, healing, uh, crazy things happened literally that day. And it was amazing. Kim, I believe that day got word that she was going to be, or the next day that she was going to be released from the hospital when she was expected to be there much longer. Um, uh, Linda Walter uh, immediately began to function in a way that day and use her hand that she hadn't yet up to that day. Literally, the moment that we were interceding, she started to use her hand while watching online. These things started to happen. Uh, Emily Farley went to visit her stepdad, Larry, who, who was diagnosed with cancer. His numbers within that week dropped from, nine, his blood counts dropped from 90,000 to 1,900. So just crazy things. Kim um, and, and so on. There were so many others. Uh, my dad, he's now here walking only with a cane. So, so there's things, and I know there were others that we interceded before for the Lord that I can't remember at the moment, but just we started getting report after report after report. Also, Who? katrissa katrissa my goodness uh she doesn't even need chemo now they removed a, a basketball sized tumor from her abdomen the, the, within that couple of days and everything started to align and function and the kidney all these things just fell into alignment that's the power of prayer folks that's the power of god that's the power of miracle signs and wonders and uh not, we just literally stopped for a moment just to pray that's it. We simply ask the Lord, do what you love to do. Love your sons and daughters. And uh, just some crazy things. Then we activated. it. We said, okay, now you go pray for people. And uh, the, the, another commissioning to bring God with you. And uh, one of the cool things, last night we got a text. Um, Donna, she was at uh, Canal Fest. And this lady around her was having this severe asthma attack, and she couldn't speak. Donna said, can I pray for you? She couldn't even answer. She couldn't say one word. She could not breathe. Medics were on the way. She prayed within 30 seconds, breathing fully. And everybody around began to glorify and praise the Lord in this process and uh, even their family. So anyway, just just cool things that are happening. And um, again, this is not weird, all right? We as believers may think some of this is weird just because we haven't been exposed to it or we're not used to it. But the reality is Jesus was perfect theology. Jesus is the perfect example. When he went around, he did signs, wonders, and miracles. He prayed for people. They were healed. They were raised from the dead. Crazy stuff that I shared a few weeks ago. Even rubbing mud in somebody's eyes, and then all of a sudden, blind eyes were healed. And, and we think it's weird to lay hands on somebody and see them heal, like, all right? I said, like, don't Smith Wigglesworth, anybody, and punch them in the arm or drop kick them or different things that Smith Wigglesworth would do as a revivalist. Um, that might be a little odd for our culture these days. Um, you need some extreme faith for that, all right? <laughs> Not, anyway. Okay, so uh, if you missed the last few weeks, just catch it online. And, uh, man, we're, I'm excited to be back. There's no place like home. I just began to thank the Lord this morning. Um, just sitting out on my on my patio and just looking out into our uh into our property and just begin to thank the lord and just get moved um just with just gratitude just thankfulness so then being here and, and worshiping with baylor and the team and, and all of you it's like man there is no place like home there is just no place like being home so welcome uh and we're going to get into it today i'm excited to preach it's been a couple weeks um Uh, But I want to start with a story So today I I really want to just start with like God's perspective on things A lot of times his perspective is different than our perspective A lot of times heaven's lenses look different than ours I have a a pair of Ray-Bans here and I was gifted these Ray-Bans And uh, they they mean a lot to me beyond just they're really great quality glasses Literally when I put them on for the first time it was years ago I didn't know my worth, I didn't know my true identity in Christ And I put these on and I actually began to see better but they, they it became a symbol to me of value and worth and identity and sonship and how the father sees me. It's weird, a pair of sunglasses. So I try, to, try my best to keep them in a case, keep good track of them. Uh, I was the type of guy that would buy $10 sunglasses, lose them, break them, sit on them, not care. But when you buy a good quality pair, things change. So they were my first pair of Ray-Bans, and, uh, and, and when you put them on, you, you begin to see differently, and, and that's the thing with heaven's perspective, and maybe you're a Maui gym person, maybe an Oakley person, uh, maybe even a pit viper kind of guy, I don't know, but, but the deal is, I want today, everybody just symbolically, prophetically maybe even, just put on some new shades today, just put them on, in your mind's eye, just everybody with emotion, symbolism, let's put on heaven's perspective today. Because sometimes, oftentimes, God sees our situations different than we see them. Oftentimes, God sees, sees, sees our problem as a promise, as a, as a possibility. We see it as a problem. God sees it as this potential. This possibility, this, this amazing solution, right? So, my family and I, we were, um, we were in Florida last week near Naples, and we were, we were a little ways from the beach, so we'd have to drive every time and go try to find public parking. And I don't know if you've had to do that in Florida, but it's hard, all right? And usually you have to wait, and then I was even trying to make deals with people. Like this guy pulled in right in front of me, got this spot, I was like, I'll give you 20 bucks for it. He's like, nah, man. I was like, 20 bucks, you know? So, we had to keep waiting and waiting, and, and eventually, we, on this one we were near Bonita Springs, Bonita Beach, and, and uh, we had to end up going from one parking lot to another. We're like, all right, well, let's, let's see if there's one more. So we see a sheriff uh, deputy sitting there in his cruiser. We're like, well, let's ask him. So I was like, hey, is there another parking lot? Because it was like everybody was stalemated, waiting on all these spots, right? And you're just like scouting out people coming at the showers or like bringing all their beach stuff out. Like, all right, I think they're leaving. And you like yell out, hey, are you leaving? No, we just got here. Like, ah. You want to leave? <laughs> so, so anyway, we're scouting out this place. We ask the deputy. We're like, hey, is there another parking lot? He's like, yeah, one more. Go to the light, turn right. We find this tucked away parking lot, all right? And we find this thing tucked away. And there is like, it's not even half full. It's, 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 there's like 10 cars and 80 spaces. We're like, score, this is amazing. All right, kids, it's going to be a great day. Then all of a sudden, we get to the beach. And, and we get there, and it's this park. And they have these cabanas that are free, I'm like what if it's free it's me So, so anyway we, we get there And we, there's an open cabana And we're like well let's take it we would like to show you a picture of this cabana We have some pictures here So this is us sitting in the, the Shelter or as I like to say cabana 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 No in Espanol cabana Maori Cabana or cabana The Mexican settles it all. Cabana. All right, so here we are. We find it. We're in paradise. All right, there's another picture of us from the front. Look, there we are, happy, in the shade, feeling the goodness of God. And then I'll show you our view. Now, we did have an open view, and these people just sat right in the middle. We're like, really? And, like, just 30 feet to the left here, there's, like, total open space. We're like, what are they thinking? And I flipped them off, and then they did. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Anyway, we're going to get somewhere today. But uh, but this was our thing. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes our problem becomes God's possibility. And I know this is minor in the grand scheme of things. This was was just a kiss from God for us. And uh, there's so much major things that people are dealing with and struggling with and issues in our world right now. But the deal is that sometimes God's no is a delayed yes building interest. Sometimes there's something better waiting for you, even if you can't see it, even if you don't know it, even if you think you're at your pit and at your bottom. Let me just tell you, God has something better for you. There is a cabana waiting for you, all right? There's an open parking spot waiting for you. We're going to get into some things, but he definitely wants to show us a new perspective. Revelation 4.1 says this. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, say, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. God's saying, like, come up here, I'll show you. In Jeremiah 33.3, this is like a really great verse for you to tuck away in your heart. When you can't see your situation, when you can't see past that circumstance or that issue or that tragedy, this is a good one to tuck away in your heart. It says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you and even show you great and mighty things, things which have been confined and hidden, which you do not know and understand and cannot distinguish. Listen, there is, there is a different perspective that God has, and he will come and show us things. We'll, we'll come up, he says, come up here and I'll show you. Listen, we're being called to a higher perspective, a penthouse version of thinking and seeing, and seeing potential and problems from a possibility standpoint. There was a story in the Bible, and then we'll get into the main context today. There's a story in the Bible where, where Joshua and Caleb, they were sent out to be these spies and, and to look into the promised land and look to see, well, what's it look like, and they're scouting it out. And there was 12 of them sent, and they come back with this report, and only Joshua and Caleb says, yeah, they're mighty, and they're talking about carrying grapes on sticks and all these crazy things of the promised land, right? And they come back, but then the 10 spies say, oh, their army's too mighty. Joshua and Caleb's like, yeah, but we got God on our side. There's two ways to look at a problem. There's two ways to look at an issue. There's two ways to look at something. And what God thinks as, as a promise, we sometimes look at as a problem. We need the Caleb-Joshua mentality and mindset to look at these things and say, hey, I may have been in that mess, but God used it for good. I may have been in that situation, but now look. Now look what I've come through. I've got stronger character. I've got, see, James 1, 2, it says, count it all joy, the trials you go through. See, there's a purpose in our trials, there's a purpose, in it. there's a reason, as Nicole said, that, that Bruce and Catherine can stand and talk about a good God who's lost two children and been through tragedy and knows tragedy firsthand. They say there's no greater, Lola told me this once, she's lost a husband, a child, and a grandchild. And she says there's nothing, there's nothing comparable to losing a child. And, and, and these are people that face that. But there's a reason folks like this and people like you who can stand in tragedy, can stand in trial, and lift your hands and say, God's good. Why? Because our issues and our trials and our tragedies don't define the goodness and integrity and the amazing possibility and power and love of God. He's always good. So we're going to go and focus on Judges here and Gideon. So we're going to be in Judges 6. Is it okay if I read a lot of scripture again today? Cool. Judges 6. We're going to read about half of chapter 6 and all of 7. And I want to tell you a story about how how Gideon may have seen a circumstance, how Gideon may have seen um, a problem, but God saw a promise. And this is a great story. It's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I reference it a lot, and I reference it of praising being our weapon and praise and seeing from the mountain versus the valley, right? Because he's calling us up to a higher perspective. What's interesting about a valley mountain perspective is that a valley, no one wants to go to a valley, right? Valleys like, we're like, oh, I don't want to go to that valley. But it's crazy. I, I love to hunt. I love to hike. I love to be in nature, and I go literally I've been around the world hunting and and exploring and doing fun things and ministry and other stuff hunting and um, it's crazy when you walk through these valleys that's where the nutrients are you hit around 10,000 foot elevation all of a sudden a lot of vegetation disappears not much survives above that it's in the valley where the nutrients are it's where the valley where the streams flow and the valley is where the vegetation is and we want to avoid the valley but sometimes that's where our greatest growth and nutrients come from but let me just remind you that there is a mountain on, every, on the other side of every valley. And sometimes the Lord uses these valleys as these great opportunities. So in chapter 6, we get to the point, Gideon's being chosen here to lead uh, against the Midianites in, in this allegiance of armies against Israel. But see, here's what happened. Israel had failed. Israel had basically messed up. So God gave them over to the Midianites. And now here's, here's what's happening is now Gideon is being selected by God to, to take them out, to take Israel out and back into freedom and back into being victorious, all right? So it's funny, even in the first verse in 6, it says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And then the next sentence, the next part, and then the next verse, verse 2, and we'll, we'll move on here in a second. It says, The Midianites were so cruel, it says, then the Israelites uh, found hiding places and all this things. So I just wanted to focus that. Like they were so, he noted here that they were so cruel. This is the circumstances. So then we get to, to verse 13. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now this is gonna get good, all right? Now this is this amazing thing that Gideon's questioning, like, seriously, we gotta do this again? Haven't we already left Egypt once? And then it says, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Menasseh. By the way, don't don't judge me. Alright, half of you in this room probably couldn't pronounce what I'm going to try to pronounce today. Alright, don't you judge me. This is a no judgment zone. And I am the least in my entire family. How many in your lives, how many in your situations or, or even in your family sometimes feel like you're not worthy? how many how many have like come to even to to know christ and like man i'm not worthy of this blessing i'm not worthy of this calling i'm not worthy of this promotion listen gideon is is like listen my my clan's the weakest and i'm the least of my family it reminds me of david it reminds me of me i'm the youngest in my family when my mom died and and my dad didn't know what to do with the church and and all of a sudden he's like you're going to be the pastor i was like what no I'm cool being youth pastor like Nicole and I we love that we we don't want any more responsibility than that he's like no you're the one like no no I'm not yes you are God showed me in a dream you're the one this is what Gideon's doing and and I'm telling you sometimes he takes the least to do the most yeah. sometimes he takes zeros and makes them into heroes and this is what's happening with Gideon he says the Lord said to him I will be with you And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. I'm going to paraphrase some of this, next, uh, some of this chapter just for the sake of time. See, what happens is um, it goes through these series of things. Say, God, if it's true, if I'm really the one, prove it. And all of a sudden God shows up with, with fire and then, and then Gideon puts out this fleece later on and says, if I'm the one, prove it. See, again, like, I, I think sometimes we're, we question that and say, man, why did he need so many signs? Why did he have such lack of faith when God told him once? I look at that as humility. And I, I find it interesting that God doesn't scold him one time for asking for more signs and more signs and more signs, When you're going to battle, and at the time at the start of this battle, and we get there in chapter seven, there's twenty-five thousand troops, twenty-five thousand men that are gonna risk their lives. I wanna I wanna sign maybe two or three as well. Like, hey, we're about to go to battle, we're gonna read what happens here in a moment, but I want to focus on verse twenty two for a second. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord of Peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in, in the land of the clan of Abiz, in this to this day. So he builds an altar. We talked about that. Like a lot of times, even before the Great Commission, go, make disciples. It says they worship Jesus first. We worship, then we grow, then we go. It's this thing of building an altar. Now then the Lord instructs him. He says, take down the altar of Baal in the post. Burn the post on the altar. And then we get to this part uh, just a little ways later, 28, verse 28. It says, Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, Who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded to Joash. He must die for destroying the altar to Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by mourning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down this altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerub, Jer- Jer- I know this word too, Jerubable, okay, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. I want to confront this for a moment, there have been a lot of altars built the false idols. There have been a lot of altars in our society right now, in our culture, building around idols, building around cultural issues, building around political issues and figures and, and, and industries and money and all these things. There's, there's altars being built, and sometimes it's not even an altar that we built that we should be tearing down. Sometimes as people, as, as, as followers of Christ, as, as sons and daughters of Christ, as believers, we need to also be tearing down altars of Baal and altars that weren't even built by us to build up altars of God. On Friday nights, we have this thing called the altar, the first Friday or second Friday of every month, and we just had one that I missed, and Corey and Baylor and others led that, and it was this amazing time. These times are about building an altar unto the Lord. See, God instructed him, they b- remove this altar unto an idol that's false. He's a false God, and build an altar unto me. I think sometimes in our lives, and, and maybe it's even others that have affected, and the altars they built have affected my course of history, but God's commissioning us to build altars unto him. Let, let me move on. The next section here is Gideon asking for a sign. This is where we get this thing, uh, the saying says, put a fleece before the Lord. He puts his fleece down, and he says, all right, if it's got dew on it, but the ground around it is dry, um, it says, then, then, then I know you're sending me, and I know I'm going to win. I know it's going to be good, and he does it. The next day, he says, okay, if, you, if I put a fleece down, and it's dry, and the ground around it's wet, then, then I know, okay? He, and God fulfills all of this. I want to focus on one verse before we move on to chapter 7. 34, then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. We talked about this two weeks ago when I preached, the, the spirit that gives us power. Everybody say power. power. You gotta say it like that though, Power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of a Beezer came to him. Now, I, I, want to, I want to focus on that just for a moment. He blew a ram's horn, or a trumpet in some context, or, or a shofar, he blew this so far as a call to arms because it's now time to go to battle. The Lord has picked him. He has confirmed it on at least three different occasions, if not more, in the text we just read. And he's confirming it. He says, okay, now it's time to go to battle. Now we get to chapter 7. Is it okay if I read on? I'm going to, even if you didn't give me permission. So <laughs> Derubable. And his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let you all fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. How many know that God loves to be glorified? He's a jealous God. He doesn't want any gods before him. He doesn't want any Baals before him. And so he's saying, all right, here's all these troops. And he's telling Gideon, nope, nope, nope. Too many, too many. If, if you win with that many, you're gonna take the glory. I want the glory. So here's what happens. Therefore, and by the way, how many have tried to do things your own way? Like, all right, I think this is what God wants. I think. God, will you come into what I'm wanting to do here? <laughs> it's kind of slightly off. It should be more like, hey, God, I'll follow you. If you want me to go, send me, I'll go. And I'll go the way you want, Right? All right, so whoever uh, is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. Um, We we basically get into this thing to where they, they, they say, who drinks a certain way? It was just a way to weed out more. They go to the spring, if they drink, 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 a certain way, then they removed. So it gets down to 300. Verse seven, the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and the rams, horns or shofars of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night, the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. Isn't it amazing that before the battle ever starts, you've been given the victory? Let, let me just remind you revelations, we win. Let, let me remind you, in your situation, in your circumstance, you win. When God is with you and God is in you, you win. Before the battle ever even starts, he's already prepared you, he's already handpicked you, he's already created you for such a time as this. And there is nothing too great that he'll let you face that you can't handle with him. He promises that his his grace is sufficient for all needs. Just like Gideon, man, I'm not worthy. I, I can't do this. He picked the youngest, the least likely out of the entire family of the, of the most inferior clan of the time to beat an entire allegiance of armies with 300 men. And before they ever went about battle, he says, By the way, you've already won. Man, I love that. That night, it says, verse 10 But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Oh, this is funny. Still gives him an out you need one more sign I'm gonna give you one more sign all right I'm gonna prove it to you again all right so he's like but listen you're gonna do it so he could have just like slept through the night had a, had an easy rest maybe for the evening before they go out at midnight but he's like nah we're, we're gonna do this so he says but if you're afraid to attack go down uh with your servant listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged then you will be, be eager to attack I, I guess if God's saying that like if you go you'll be encouraged and you'll be really eager to attack like all right sign me up I'm going down so Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Are you getting a picture of how many they were facing here with three hundred men? Gideon crept up just as, the, as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream in my dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling down in the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, Your dream can mean only one thing. Now, it's crazy. As if the dream wasn't enough, now the guy's going to interpret the dream, and Gideon's hearing all of this. It says, God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over the Midian and all its allies now imagine hearing this i'd be like let's go i'd be like let's go now gotta be patient and wait on the lord it says when gideon heard the dream and its interpretation he bowed in worship before the lord how many know that all of our battles need to start in worship all of our trials all of our circumstances all of our all of our issues need to start in worship then the then he returned to the israelite camp and shouted get up for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I, am, as soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Can we just say that? For the Lord and for Gideon. We're almost done here. It was just after midnight, and I'm gonna just start my first closing right now, all right? Let's just, let's just get the first of five out of the way. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held in, in the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched all the Midianites rush around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. I know this might be elementary to some of you, but as I read this a couple weeks ago and I reread it again several times since, I get something different every time I read it. You may know the story, but there's this crazy thing that when we pick up the book, All of a sudden, the Lord continues to minister to us in a way. I I used to follow this youth pastor. He was super cool. His name's Joel Stockstill. And he said, eat that book. He'd always say that, like, hashtag, eat that book, right? So I know this might be a common story for some, but I hope that the Lord is seeing, uh, letting you see something different today. This is so inspiring. Those were not killed, fled to places as far away as Bethshida near Zerah and to the border of Abel Malah near Tabith. Then Gideon sent for the warriors of Naphtali, Asher and Manasseh. What a, yep. Manasseh, who joined in chasing the armies of Midian. Gideon also sent messages throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down to attack the Midianites. Cut them off at the shallow crossings of the Jordan River at Bethbara." Barah. Now, now here's a cool thing. Let me just recap what's happened. All right, So they divided up, the 300 divided up, 100 each uh, in, in three different places, 100. They start blowing these horns, All right, these shofars, these ram's horns. They start breaking jars and, and, and showing their torches up above the camp of the Midianites and the allies. And all of a sudden what happens is chaos hits the place, confusion hits the place. They turn on each other and essentially kill, mostly kill each other. As many as the sand is on the shore. Too many to count. Now, how's that happen? Everybody say God. God. This is amazing. Now, but Gideon not only uh, basically wins that battle, drives him out, now he's got the power that was put in him, right? Says, now, you are, now I've given you power. He's been confirmed to have victory. Now he continues to pursue him. He's like, all right, we ain't done yet. Let's go. Let's take it. Let's go. So all the men of Ephraim did as they were told. They captured Oreb and Zeb, the two Midianite commanders, killing Oreb in the rock, um, at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they continued to chase the Midianites. Afterwards, the Israelites brought the heads of these two princes to Gideon. Now, now here's, here's what I want to challenge us with. This was not just a, a, a battle. This was not just a battle against the Midianites. This was a battle in Gideon's head. This was a battle in his mind. This was a battle of faith. This was a battle of obedience. This was a battle of trust. The Bible says that we'll be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds, it's usually not here that's the issue. It's, it's definitely not God, it's, it's usually here. So a lot of times, when Goliath was killed, they cut the head of Goliath off. See, sometimes it's a new way of thinking. Sometimes the head has to be cut off. Sometimes that's a sign of victory saying, all right, the battle's ours, the battle's won, and it's all done. See, this this was an amazing story that God used this situation and and from a higher perspective, he uses Gideon with 300 men to, to basically slaughter thousands upon tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of men. Crazy. God sees our situation and let me just say this, he knows the end and you win and he sees you different than you see yourself. You're not the least likely. You're the the most likely. I've had to convince myself and allow the Lord to convince me I'm not the least likely up here. I'm the one that was chosen. Gideon isn't the least likely. He's the one that was chosen for that assignment. You were chosen for your assignment. You were chosen for your battles. You were chosen for your purpose in life. You were chosen. Your marriage was chosen. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God kirk was single for like 25 years and he's thanking the lord for his marriage daily and i know that personally he's amazing your kids were chosen they're not the least likelies let me just tell you like god's got it in his hand he's got your situation in his hand he's got this nation in his hand he's got politics in his hand he's got the g7 in his hand like he wins he wins We literally surrender and we trust and we're obedient to what the Lord tells us to do in our battles. Sometimes we're trying to fight battles that aren't ours. Let me just tell you, some of those Facebook battles aren't yours to fight. They usually go nowhere. But he has put battles in you. He has put bales in you to tear down. He has put bales around you at least to tear down and altars to build up that start with worship let me move on and let me finish with this last story here Matthew 23, 9 Matthew nine twenty-three through 26 this message I, I felt like the, I felt like Jesus on this message Nicole preached on Mother's Day I don't know that was at least a month ago I believe And uh, by the way, reminder, next week's Father's Day, love on your dads, okay? My kids are gone, or I'd lecture them and get me something nice. (laughs) I like Ray-Bans. So, she read this story about the woman with the issue of blood. And as she read that in church, I may have zoned off a little bit and read on. And I read this story, and it inspired me how God sees our situations different than we see them, and I want to read this to you. Matthew 9, 23 through 26 in the Passion Translation. When Jesus finally entered the home of the Jewish leader. Now, now remember, he was actually confronted and asked to come pray for this girl before he went, ran into the woman with the issue of blood. Let me reword that. Before she pressed through a crowd to touch his garment. That was, that was in the process of going to this home. So it says when Jesus finally entered the home of the Jewish leader, he saw a noisy crowd of mourners. He saw a hired crowd of mourners paid to mourn and play music, mostly horns, for a funeral. Okay? So this is what's happening. They are already starting the process of a funeral ceremony and, and, and uh, cultural way of doing this. They hire these mourners. "'Wailing and playing a funeral dirge on their flutes. He told them, "'You must leave, for the little girl is not dead. She's only asleep.' Then everyone began to ridicule him after he made the crowd go outside.' He went into the girl's room and gently took hold of her hand. She immediately stood to her feet and the news of this incredible miracle spread everywhere. Did you know that God's testimonies become prophecies for more things to happen? That testimony I shared last night about Donna praying for a woman with asthma and being healed immediately is now a prophecy for you to be encouraged to pray for others who are down, who are ill, who are sick, who are whatever. And now that becomes a prophecy that they will also have a testimony. These stories in the Bible are now prophecies of what God can do. How many believe that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever? <laughs> if that's the case, and that's the basis of part of our theology, that He is the same always, then miracles don't stop, healings don't stop, salvations don't stop, prof- prophecy doesn't stop, right? It continues. So here we get this thing to where Jesus goes in this house and sees the situation different than these mourners had seen it, sees it different than the family had seen it, sees it different than the dad, who's a Jewish leader, has seen it. And he says, she's not dead, she's asleep, grabs her by the hand, gently pulls her up. Now I'm sure there was clear signs by them that indicated that she was dead, but it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. We might see dry bones, but he sees an army. We may see death, but he sees life. We may be wanting to warn, but he's wanting to rejoice. See, all of a sudden something changes and God sees things different and from his perspective, even though what we're seeing, well listen, we may see a cancer diagnosis and we can't deny that diagnosis, it's real, but God sees a healing in the midst. We may see something to where somebody's laid up in a hospital bed and supposed to go to another hospital or rehab facility for a month, but God sees something different and says, nope, you're gonna be released tomorrow. And these other situations, like, Kim, like, nope, you're getting released today. You were supposed to be here another week or two. Matter of fact, we didn't even have to do all the surgery because something changed. Listen, when we may see something, even if it's real. Now, listen, I don't believe they hired mourners for a funeral for a girl that was sleeping and had a pulse and was breathing. I believe she was probably really dead, but the point of this story and the point of today is that we see things from God's perspective, no matter how grim, how doom and gloom, or how deadly or death-like it looks, God sees from a different perspective. Listen, your situation, maybe it's you're yearning for a spouse, God sees that, and he's got the perfect spouse picked out for you. Maybe you long for a baby, God knows that, he's got that baby planned. Maybe it's, it's this breakthrough. Maybe it's this, this situation. Maybe it's a healing in a relationship. Maybe it's, maybe it's being reconciled to a family member who's been distant for a long time. Let me just tell you this. That might look bad to us. That might look bad to earthly standards, but to God, that looks like a possibility. That looks like a promise. That looks like a victory. I'm gonna ask Bert to come on up here. I'm legit closing See, many of us we wanna we wanna play a dirge, which is which is a lyrical song for mourning, which is a lyrical song for uh grieving. Many of us we want to play a dirge, but God wants us to play a celebration. He wants to He wants to be filled with joy. Like we're seeing our circumstances and it's controlling us. We're seeing the circumstances of this nation and it's controlling us. God wins. We're getting discouraged because we're seeing culture change and we're seeing different things celebrated and different things encouraged. Now, I'm not saying sit by the wayside and just let it happen. Come on, we're called to battle. We're called to tear down some altars of Baal. We're called to, to build up some altars of worship unto the Lord. So I'm not saying sit by the wayside. I'm going to the state house in a week or two to, to meet with some representatives to confront some things. So I'm not saying sit by and do nothing, but, but do what God's called you to do and do it the way he's called you to do it. And let me just say this: If you're not called to the state house, you're called to pray. You're called to worship. Some of you are called to a classroom. Whitney's called to a classroom. Eli's called to the fire department, and so on and so forth. We go through each of you and business owners and realtors and nurses and all of these things that lay present in this in this in this congregation, this family. My wife, stay-at-home mom. Helps with the church, but stay-at-home mom. She's called to our children and those around her wherever she goes. And let me just remind you moms out there, that's not second class. Amen. You grandmas, you grandpas, you retired people, you're not done yet. You empty nesters, you're not done yet. You're just in a new phase. Let me finish this. I, I believe this. God is calling for a time for dead things to come to life, for dreams to come back to life, for hope to be fulfilled. For prophecies to be fulfilled, for promises to be fulfilled, he's not done. The situation may look bad. He's not done with America. <laughs> he's not done. Let me let me explain something. Bert's holding a shofar here. This would be a ram's horn. Okay? So this would be taken off a ram, oftentimes used for worship. It would be used to to announce wartime. It's a call to arms, it's a call to battle. All right, here's the other times it would be used to announce a fast. In Jewish culture, it would be to announce a holiday or sometimes to end a holiday, all right? So there's a purpose in what we now call the shofar or what would be called a shofar in biblical or different translations to a ram's horn or even a trumpet at times. Um, so in Joel 2, it talks about the, the trumpets of Zion, to blow the trumpet of Zion. And, and I wanted to end service. Can we get weird in here? Is it, I mean, upper room, we're kind of used to weird we got lots of weird. What was crazy is we try not to do anything with outside the context of the Bible, okay? So I think sometimes when we implement things into our service and we see Pam um, worshiping extravagantly, it looks weird to us and it's uncomfortable. But if it's done within order and it's done within the context of a pure heart, then it's actually a beautiful thing unto the Lord. And as long as it matches up biblically. So if with done with order and biblically, uh, there's a time and there's a place And I just, I had this message uh, several weeks ago And then, then we, we had shofars get blown on, uh, before the altar Before anybody even got here for the altar on Friday night And as this all kind of came together I was like, I want to end service this way And this was with order So could you stand with me? And I want to give you a charge I want to commission you I want to, I want to give this a context This isn't just to blow a shofar Just to show you one and show you how cool it is there's a purpose behind a, 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 a shofar when it's done appropriately and at the right time in the right setting. Now, if you remember, when Gideon, before he gathered even the troops, before he went to battle, before he went down to, to hear that dream and the interpretation of the dream and to go to battle, he blew the shofar to call people to arms. He blew the shofar to call people to battle to say, the victory is ours. I believe that many of us here, all of us here, we're called to a battle, all right? And I'm not, now let me, let me remind you, <laughs> I'm not one of those guys that think greater, greater uh, devils for greater levels, okay? I do believe there's attack. I do believe the enemy's real, but I believe God is bigger, more superior, and more victorious, okay? So, there are advancements. There's favor that's put on life that we don't have to go through a bunch of stupid trash to get there. But at times, there are attacks. There are attacks on marriages. There are attacks on your children and their assignment. There are attacks on bodies like ours. There are attacks on, on physical bodies when your purpose, Kim, your purpose is not meant to be in a hospital. Dad, your purpose is not meant to be in a, in a, in a chair that you can't walk. That, that's not our purpose in life. We're meant to go. Each one of you in here are meant to go in your own way In your sphere of influence Right where God called you to go These graduates today are being called to go to their assignments Some of you are in business Some of you are in public service Some of you are, are, are in um, real estate And all these other areas You're meant to go So this is a call to arms This is a call to battle And I'm going to let um, I'll hold a microphone for you Is that cool? Yeah. We'll get this online too now, when he blows this, I want, I want to erupt with just, ah, let's go, right? For the Lord and for Gideon, right? So he's going to blow this. And this is a call to arms. This is a call to battle. And know that the victory is ours. All right? All yeah. right? Ah! How many felt the atmosphere changing that there's power here I just picture Gideon blowing that and it hitting the valleys and it hitting the crevices around mountains and men 32,000 men coming to go to war to take Israel back to freedom you are meant to go to freedom you are meant and you are prepared and you are the right one you are the right ones for battle we're gonna do this one more time let's go Hi, right, lift your hands up. Lord, we thank you. Everybody say, send me. send me. Send me, Lord. Send us. Lord, we say yes. We know we are victorious. You see from heavenly's perspective. Let us see from your perspective. Let us see with God glasses today, Jesus. Let us see every situation, every person, every industry, every place, everything from heaven's perspective, Lord. Give us your goggles. Give us your perspective. Give us heavenly vision, Vision, Jesus. Vision. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. One of Bert's dreams, I heard at the altar a couple of weeks ago, I called him up here because uh, he shared, Corey did a call to dreams, and dreams being fulfilled, and dreams, things we're dreaming for with the Lord. And one of his dreams was that the Lord would use his talent with the shofar and trumpet to see revival hit the land. And I felt like this was very symbolic that, that you are the revival to the people around you. And you bring Christ wherever you go. And this is a charge and a commissioning and a call to battle. Amen? Amen. So bless you guys. Have an amazing week. We love you. Have uh, a great day. Enjoy the weather.